Welcome to the International Order of the Golden Rule podcast series. OGR provides tools and resources to help independently owned funeral homes be exceptional. Today's podcast is brought to you by Thumbies Keepsakes, an OGR endorsed supplier. Comfort the families you serve and boost your revenue stream this year by becoming a partner with Thumbies Keepsakes. Now a member of the Messenger Company, Thumbies offers the largest selection of high quality fingerprint jewelry and accessories, giving families the perfect way to always remember their loved ones. Partnering with Thumbies is a breeze thanks to their in-house support team, traveling partner representatives, available Bluetooth fingerprint scanner, and easy to use website. Now offering the same discount and commission rate on all products, accessories, and metal types, regardless of whether the purchase is made by you or the family, there's no better time to join. Thumbies has huge updates in store for their partner app and e-commerce website to make life as a partner easier and more rewarding than ever. Become a partner for free today by signing up at thumbies.com or calling their support team at 877-848-6243. So taking over the business from dad, I guess it was important for us to maintain the status quo. Uh, so continue the level of, of success, not for any reason, have business level drop, uh, either because we were taking over, it was a younger generation. So in maintaining the status quo, there were some processes that we wanted to continue and some we wanted to do better. Hello and welcome. I am Gregory McClary, and this is a podcast series from the Order of Golden Rule, a podcast by, for, and about independent funeral home profession. Our theme this year is the changing consumer as we focus on how your business can develop and pivot through the needs of your customers. Today's guest is Justin Zebra of Zebra Funeral Home. Justin uh, family-owned funeral home has found success with changing customers by thinking outside the box. He also is a prolific speaker on topics important to our industry. We're excited to welcome Justin today as we continue our discussion on the changing consumer. I think he's able to share some valuable information that will that can take us to the next level in our service for our companies and our customers. Let's get started and dive right in, Justin. Justin, welcome today, and I'm so honored and glad that you could take time out of your busy schedule to be with us and to uh, just share some insight. So if you would, tell us um, tell us about yourself, your funeral home and, and your speaking. Thank you, Gregory. I, I really, really appreciate it. Happy to be here. I'm honored to be here. I'm, I'm humbled to be here. You know, I'm just like you. I live in this world every single day, but speaking and presenting and sharing ideas and thought leadership is, is one of my passions. So this is an actual, it's work, yes, but it's a nice break to, to talk about this in this format and and um, share in this way. So thank you. This is a treat for me. But this afternoon, you know, I have to work a visitation, lead a service and, you know, uh, facilitate a catering, you know, all this evening. So I, I live and work and breathe this full time every day. And I speak uh, and, and do a little uh, acting part time as a side hustle. So I'm a third generation funeral director. My grandfather founded our business in Cleveland, Ohio. We are in a southwest suburb of Cleveland uh, near the airport, if you've ever been to Cleveland, called Parma. At one time, Parma was one of the largest suburbs in the U.S., uh, and the population exploded after World War II, and the vets came home uh, to start families. 
at one time we were the yeah largest suburb in the U.S. We're probably about the yes sixth, seventh, eighth largest city in the state, even though we are a suburb of Cleveland proper. Again, my grandfather founded our business in 1927, and my grand or my father took it over in the second generation, and he is now retired. And my brother and I are the third generation of leadership. And you know, hopefully, within the next four years, if we don't make any big mistakes, we'll make our our centennial. So personally, I've been a funeral director for over 20 years. I, I, I got out of mortuary school in the year 2000 and, and essentially started here January 1st of 2001. So given the long uh, time your service, your funeral home has been in business and the time that you have been with the firm and as a family firm, what's different? What are you doing different for your families? So that differentiation is, is a great question. And I guess, you know, you always have to have your, your antenna up, right? You always have to be on the lookout and pay attention for the next thing. And, you know, we hear a lot of things in our trade publications, on podcasts, you know, on the internet, at our conventions, at our state and national associations. Uh, and there's a lot of information and some of it applies and, and some of it doesn't. I mean, so you really have to filter through that and take what works best for you. So taking over the business from dad, I guess it was important for us to maintain the status quo. Uh, so continue the level of, of success, not for any reason, have business level drop, uh, either because we were taking over, it was a younger generation. So in maintaining the status quo, there were some processes that we wanted to continue and some we wanted to do better. So, you know, when I, when I, I had a, a background in public speaking and decided to come into the funeral business. So when I started, there was an opportunity to use my public speaking skills to serve mostly funeral service associations, OGR being one of them. OGR was a very early client of mine. I first spoke to OGR back in 2006 when Mark Allen was the executive director. There was a fall presentation in Indianapolis and then there was also one down in West Virginia at the Greenbrier. And through experiences like that, I started to realize that one of our differentiating factors, honestly, was the fact that we catered. We provided post-funeral luncheons. Um, and we'd been doing this. And so, to be honest, in my market, it's expected. You kind of have to. But when I started to speak, I was surprised to find that most Funeral homes throughout the country do not. So it started to be an area of expertise for me. Uh, I developed a presentation. We still continue to do it to this day. I thought if any time for catering to not be in demand anymore would have been here post pandemic, you know, when, when our governor in Ohio literally shut that down, he mentioned it in one of his speeches that funerals, visitations, and especially post funeral luncheons specifically were mass spreader events of COVID. So for a time, we were ordered by the governor to stop doing it. But sure enough, it came back in full force and, you know, now continues to be a differentiating factor for us. Now, as you said, you are, you have served OGR and, and have worked with them in the past. And I also see where you are also a certified funeral service uh, practitioner through the Academy of Professional Funeral Service. Yes, sir. How, uh, and, and I'm kind of astonished at the number that I see of 35,000 funeral directors and then pretty much only 1,400 has that certification. 
So how do you see OGR and the Academy and just film service as a whole coming together to be hands on hands instead of not competing against each other, but sure. working that we can be able to better serve uh, families. Gregory, great question. And I'm, I'm a little old school in this sense, generationally. I was born in the late 70s. I grew up in the 80s. High school, college, educated in the 90s. Basically hit the workforce in the year 2000, right at the millennium. I'm, I'm now 45 years old, but from a time I was a young funeral director, 23, you know, right out of college, I bought in to the idea of um, community and association and our business and funeral service associations. I realized that I, I attended conventions from a very young age, uh, in person, live and in person. And when I couldn't attend them in person, especially in the last couple of years, I attended them virtually. I attended them online. I listened to podcasts. I, I read, you know, I've got, you know, I got my library right here. I mean, here, here we go. You know, Thomas Lynch, you know, the, the famous funeral director, you know, I've, I've got my CFSP is up on the wall here, the certificate. I, I, I believe wholeheartedly in just like we feel in funeral service. It's a very old fashioned communication face to face. We have the most impact with our families when we look in their eyes and we communicate with them face to face. I feel that our success as a profession comes from the fact when, when we meet each other face to face and share these ideas, you know, in person, over continuing education meetings, over roundtables, over a great format of, of our study groups in OGR, which I've participated in and love. In the speaking profession, they call it a mastermind group. Same thing, same concept, face to face communication where business professionals can share ideas, knowledge, and, you know, get, get fellowship. They're, they're, no one understands you like someone else in this profession. Even, even your spouse at times just doesn't totally get it like another professional will. So I, I bought into that idea from a young age. I realized that some people may say that that's an old fashioned idea, but I disagree. I I'm, I'm, someone who always believed in that and continues to. And I, frankly, I don't see that ever going away. And I think our success is dependent on it. Great, great. As you notice, uh, as you know, as well as I know that uh, funeral service has changed from, uh, I'll just say from uh, when your grandfather started, probably sure. it was all there. And now we got uh, cremation rates that might um, talk with funeral homes that are up 70, 80%. So it's almost like a thing, cremation versus barrier. But I feel that we can't never get away from our core of barrier. How can, even though we have two uh, aspects of funeral service, and I know you've seen the rise, but how can we do a better job serving families with cremation and serving families burial in, in, in the future? I mean, Greg, it's a, it's a million dollar question and we've been trying to answer it for years. And I, I will be the first to admit I'm no further along to answering it than, than anyone else. You know, I have some thoughts. Uh, I, I definitely track our numbers, both in our city, our county, our state, and nationally. I could tell you that using a, a company called Funeral Convergence, 
which is a, a for-profit company. You pay a fee, but you also get very detailed statistics. Our county average for cremation is about 53%. So that's, that's countywide, that's citywide, Cleveland, Ohio, um, which is slightly below our state and national averages. I believe our firm average is about 48% cremation. So as long as we can stay below that, that countywide number, we feel we're having success. Uh, we're in a definitely an older ethnic, uh, more traditional burial, funeral service climate here in Parma. I feel the catering helps to facilitate that. And of course, this is nothing new. We have three different types of cremation that we offer, and I'm sure most funeral directors do. You have your full service cremation where the body is present, embalmed, dressed, casketed in a temporary ceremonial or rental casket. And the cremation only takes place after all the services are done. Hopefully a full visitation, full funeral service, either at the church or funeral home and full luncheon, full repast, full catering. That would be not, that would be cremation service. Number one, cremation service. Number two is where the, you know, the cremation has happened uh, already. And there's some type of memorial visitation and service. I also do try to pitch or sell our catering services. Uh, and then only after they've refused, a family has refused those two options. Do we go to a, you know, a direct with no, no services or anything like that? Having said, so I, I make them, I make my families refuse both of those two cremation options. I use it as a chance to educate them and say, hey, maybe you don't know. And some families don't, many families don't, that there are three different types of cremation. And here are the three different types and what type is best for you. You know, I'm going to do whatever you want, but just to know that there are other types of, of cremation services. And I'm sure most of you do this. So I, I'm going to encourage all of you and everyone to continue doing this because there's value in it and we're educating. So, but I, I have had, I have sold a full service funeral in, in the cremation with memorial subset. I've had a full visitation, full four hours or more uh, with ashes present, you know, video, poster boards, music, and then full parlor service, even I've even processed to a church, you know, you know, with the hearse, I, I have, I tell them you have to, if you have a procession, you have to have a hearse. It's, if we're going on the road, and we have an escort vehicle, you must have a hearse. So, you know, some people don't know whether there's a casket in there or, or an urn. And then the full procession from the church to the cemetery, and catering afterwards. So there's ways to have multiple revenue streams you know, even on cremation services. And I think we as professionals need to be making our families aware of all of those options. And then and only then, if they only want direct cremation with no services, you know, of course, we will provide that with as much care and dignity and professionalism as we would a full service funeral. So uh, I know there are a lot of, there could be a lot of funeral homes that may be thinking about the catering, because like you said, that is something that is is, is really a uh, revenue screen. One, it's your catering facilities on site with the funeral home, or is it off site? And if somebody is going to be thinking about that, maybe where, did they, where do they get started? Absolutely. So again, this is all part of a, of a whole separate presentation where I can, I can have, you know, a full 60, 90, minutes to explain all this and and it's best done in a format 
like a presentation, a speech, where I can show PowerPoint slides and pictures and everything. So, uh, you know, a podcast is not the ideal format to present this. But I'll do my best in explaining. We have our main building. We have three separate buildings on our property. We have our main building in the center. And then um, to the left or to the south of our funeral home, we have an old uh, century home. Literally, it's from 1912. And it was my grandmother's home, my grandparents' home. It was actually the first mayor of Parma's mansion. And my grandparents, when they first bought the funeral home, lived in the funeral home, above the funeral home, as many of our you know, grandparents and great-grandparents have. But then when they had an opportunity to buy the home next door, they did that. So when my grandmother, who was the second to pass away, she died in 1993, we took about a year, we had already been catering in the basement of our funeral home, not ideal because of the stairs, uh, but still, if the family was okay with that, we provided that service. When my grandmother passed away, we took about a year to convert into a catering facility and we did just that. We, we renovated the entire ground floor. So not the basement and not the upstairs. We added a second bathroom down there so we could have a proper men's and ladies or unisex two bathroom. So that was one of the renovations that we did. And then we, you know, basically just took out all the furniture, new paint and carpet and added round tables where there's six, you know, six seats at a table. And in that main living room, we can fit, you know, roughly eight tables. So that was seating for, you know, 48 right there. And then there was a side, a side room with a fireplace that we could fit two more tables. And then we screened in a porch on a wraparound porch, which is mostly only for, for better weather, but we, we could fit another three tables out there. So when it's all said and done, this old century home with a wraparound porch has an interior seating capacity of about 75, which, which fits most of our families. We usually don't cater for any less than 20. We usually don't cater for any more than 75. But in the summer, when we can use the wraparound porch, we've had, I have ordered for 125 is the most I ever ordered for. So that was a, a residential building that we converted to a catering facility. The second building was an old donut shop right okay. next to our funeral home that used to serve as our casket showroom. And when I first started, I honestly, Greg, I hated taking families into the full-size showroom because there were 20 full-size caskets in there. And I literally had people faint in my arms when I opened, when I opened up a room of 20 caskets. I mean, they're already grieving. And I hated to have to do that to them. So we had the idea to convert one of our smaller rooms in one of our smaller chapels, our smallest chapel, into our arrangement conference slash cut room, cut casket room, mer modern merchandising display wall, where we, you know, we added urns and vault models and end cut casket. So then that opened up the commercial building that was the donut shop. And we converted that into a catering facility. So I have, I have parking for over 100 cars. I have two main chapels. So I could literally have uh, over 100 cars, two visitations, two funeral services, and two caterings going on simultaneously. We try not to do that just to give families the most space as possible. But we have the ability to do that, Gregory, because we believe so, so strongly in it. Great. I, um, from the time I started, you know, as you said, we had the full 
casket room with all the caskets. And then we start going to the cuts. And then now we kind of go into a TV screen to view the caskets. Uh, have you seen that as a good thing? And from here on, what can we do better to make it? Because as you say, I've, I've had some families that, you know, well, we're, we're, where's the full casket? You sure. know, and, uh, so that has brought a change and these are, these are the change in consumer. So we, we've at the full caskets, we got the cuts. Now we have TV. Is any of that taken away from the full fact of service in, in order to better educate the families? In my opinion, no, I think it's a great thing. I have no problem if a funeral director has a full cut in their room uh, or a full casket. I think there's there's definitely value in the family seeing that. I have had zero pushback. Um, now, granted, there's there's if a family disagrees with something you're doing, you're not always going to know that they disagree. They won't always verbally say it. But I have had zero pushback in our presentation of the cut room. I haven't had anyone asked to see the full casket. I you know, I can certainly order it and have in the past if if they ask for it, knowing that I could send it back if they didn't like it. I've had, we, we leave our casket, uh, we leave our arrangement conference and casket showroom open during visitation. So I've had families wander in there and actually make, sit down and make pre-arrangements. Mm-hmm. And that tells me that they're comfortable with the presentation of it, the pricing of it. And I think it's another way to dispel the myth or the fear and answer some of their questions since they're already there at the funeral home. They've, they've now become a, a warm lead, if you will. Uh, you've started that relationship already with the family. Kind of going to personal, a little personal. I know you are not only a funeral director, but you are speaking to different organizations, funeral home. And. You call Mr. March. <laughs> yeah, it's there. So, so I don't know if you can see right bit. back there on the wall. There. <laughs> tell me a little bit about Mr. March and and um, and I, I and I know you you got several different speaking programs that you use for your different associations and 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 I know one of your I see one of your favorite one is. Uh, the F words of funeral service. Yes, sir. Let's just dive in a little bit on that. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Gregory. So for anyone who doesn't know what he is talking about, funeral service allows us uh, many blessings. And it's it's a treat when we can share our profession in a, in a more fun, shall we say, humorous light. In 2006, my brother and I saw an ad in the, in the YB Yellow Pages news, the funeral service news, that was advertising for calendar models, literally, to be part of a, a program that had never been done. A funeral director in Los Angeles, California, Long Beach specifically, named Ken McKenzie, had a sister who had overcome breast cancer. And they were in the mall and they saw kiosks of the calendars. Obviously, we have it on our phones nowadays, but this was pre-social media. And in 2006, they decided to create the first ever Men of Mortuaries calendar uh, as a charity for a breast cancer nonprofit that they had founded. And both my brother and I applied 
and both my brother and I were accepted. Now, I have to give credit to my younger brother. He's about four years younger than me, and I don't know that I would have been picked, Gregory, without my brother. I think that was part of the, you know, the the appeal was that two brothers were in the calendar. So I'm very thankful, and I was Mr. March in the 2007 Men of Mortuaries calendar, and Kurt was Mr. April. So we had a lot of fun with that. We toured the country. Uh, we raised a lot of money for, for breast cancer charities. And, you know, to this day, I'm friends with every one of those gentlemen that were in the calendar. It was a lot of fun. Even in your busy schedule at the funeral home, do you still have the time to travel and speak to funeral homes, uh, associations, or have you cut back on it? I know COVID has kind of cut back on a lot of things, but are, are you still available for that? Yes, sir, I am. Um, and it's, it, again, it's starting to ramp back up a little bit here in a post-COVID world. I, I certainly have, I mean, to be honest, it's much easier to speak like this in mm -hmm. front of a computer screen. It's much easier. I don't feel it's quite as effective. I, like I said before, I'm still very old-fashioned in the sense that I like the old-school in-person interaction. And I feel that nothing duplicates that. But so I started my, my speaking career in funeral service uh, prior to becoming a father, to becoming a dad. So I haven't done as much marketing. Honestly, you, you really have to be constantly out there and market yourself. And when you're not marketing yourself, you're not, you're not speaking. People aren't exactly knocking down your door or sending you emails if you're not out there actively marketing yourself. So um, but my, my kids are in school. They're getting a little bit older. I have a son that's uh, about to be 13. I have a daughter that's that's eight. And as they go further in school, yes, I am, I am uh, starting to ramp up my speaking schedule again and love to be out there in front of funeral service. I use it. You know, we need to do our continuing education anyway. So this is the way I choose to do my continuing education. I choose to be the presenter and get credit for uh, for my own presentations. And I love it. I love the the interaction. And I truly feel it's a service and it's a way of giving back. I, I, I did adopt the attitude with my speaking as I do with my funeral prof profession. I, I feel that it is, it is a service. You know, um, the, a funeral director doesn't exist unless a family has lost a loved one. And a speaker doesn't exist unless they have an audience to present to. So in both cases, we're thankful for that opportunity and look at it honestly as a service and a ministry. I think that we, we both have, we, we all have to look at it that way because it is a ministry. It, it, it unites us with our faith and humanity and, and it's doing a very valuable service to society. As OG, OGR, a, a great organization, and I'm not just saying that because I'm the, the host here, but they add value to the funeral service. And a lot of times I think they don't get, we don't get the message out is because a lot of people may not see the value of an organization like OGR. How can we as a profession and the professionals come closer together to add value to funeral homes and funeral profession? What is that maybe that key thing that we can do to bring us more together because we, we are in this together. And, you know, some people have to be organization, they feel they can do it alone, but what can we do to work together to add value as an association and as a profession, as you and I 
it is up to you and I to add what we can to OGR as we expect OGR to add things to us. I, I think it's a, a great question. I think we've touched on it a little bit already. I think what, what's unique about OGR and what makes it a, a great organization within funeral service is their mission. I, I, I believe in the order of the golden rule. I believe in the golden rule. I believe in the platinum rule, not only treating people as they would want to be treated, but, but treating them better than they would want to be treated. Uh, I, I love the mission to serve a specific niche within funeral service, of which I am a part, privately owned, family, independent funeral homes. I, I think that that's a a lot of people who are unfamiliar with funeral service will say, well, aren't these big corporations buying up all these funeral homes? And, and it's a misnomer. It really is. It's not accurate. Most of our entire industry and profession is private, uh, independently owned. And I believe in that. I believe you can have a greatest impact when you are privately and independently owned. So I'm proud to be a member and to serve these OGR members. I think, you know, OGR is always going to offer more than we can honestly participate in. So the point is not that we become overwhelmed by trying to participate in everything, but that we actively participate in what we can. If that's a podcast, great. If it is a, a study group, wonderful. If it's writing an article, you know, I, I met in my study group, Charles Castiglia from Buffalo, New York, I believe, who I, I, did not realize was also a speaker. He felt very called to address the opioid epidemic. And we had a wonderful conversation about that. I know he, he we share a client in the Ohio Funeral Directors Association, which I've presented to before, and he is recently presented to. So we bonded over that. That's neat. I had no idea. Not only that Charles was an OGR member, but also that he was a speaker and he felt called to speak on the opioid epidemic, which we are all involved in serving families. It, it, is a, it is a horrible situation. So, you know, we bonded over that. So I think that, you know, instead of becoming overwhelmed by all of the, the offerings that OGR has, we become involved in some of them very deeply. And again, I'm, I'm biased towards the, the in-person conventions and interaction, you know, just as a speaker. If I'm not Speaking myself, I'm I'm a member of the audience, and I always like to sit in on on those presentations and see, you know, if that if that speaker is from within funeral service, maybe they're not. I, I also like to hear from from outside professionals. They have a different perspective on our profession, and I think there's extreme value there too. So we we have to be involved, and we can't be passive and sit on the sidelines. We got to get in the game. Right. As we get ready to uh, wrap this session up, I saw a statement that you made because it, it because when it comes to serving customers, it's the little things that truly make makes the biggest difference. What are a few of those little things? Thank you. Great question. And, and at the risk of being cliche, you have to, it's the, the, the value is in the application of that. I mean, you can say that about life. You can say that about funeral service. You could say that about speaking. You could say anything. It's the little things. But what are the little things? So very little things. We have the ability in the arrangement conference technologically to open up our computer, open up our laptop, open up our iPad, 
and start typing in vital statistics. And I think that's one of the worst things that we can do. If we have not properly looked in the eyes of our families, offered our condolences, said, I'm sorry, and said first, first and foremost, tell me about your loved one. Who have you lost? How long have they been sick? Uh, what makes, what have, what made this person unique and special to you? To truly build that rapport and bond with that family before you start saying, you know, what's your date of birth? What's the social security number? Those are closed ended questions. And if we immediately go into those types of questions in the arrangement conference, it makes our family feel closed. Whereas if we ask them an open-ended question, they feel open, they start to share, uh, and, 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 it, and it builds comfort and rapport. That's a little thing. I think taking uh, arrangements and notes down by hand with a paper and pen is a little thing, but a soft approach that makes a very big difference. Um, I know it's old school, but I think I still do it. And I think there's a reason for it. It's a softer approach. And at that time, that's what the family needs. Finding out, you know, when you're talking about flowers, you find out if the, the deceased has a favorite color or a favorite flower. Well, I like to wear the favorite color of the deceased at the visitation and the funeral. I don't have any problem as a man wearing pink or purple if that was the lady's favorite color. Uh, I think that's kind of neat. If the pallbearers are always wear, all wearing the same color, I like to wear the same color. If it's a veteran, I like to wear my American flag tie, the red, white, and blue. I like to wear the veteran's pin on my lapel. Those are little things that can make a big difference. You know, the late, great Zig Ziglar said, one of my speaking heroes, he said, you know, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So how do you show families that you care? you know, by looking them in the eye and by, you know, walking the walk, uh, ha having them being easy to work with, not, not focusing on, on price and sales. There's a time for that, but demonstrate that those aren't the, the reasons that you're there. Are we in a business to make a, a profit and serve our families and our communities? Yes, but we can do it by caring as well in little and in big ways. Great, great. Justin, I want to thank you today for the honor for you to take the time to sit down and talk with me. I wish we were in person so I could high five you on some things that you were uh, talking about. But it was it's a great honor that you are here today with us. We want to thank you because it's, it gave us the opportunity to just kind of hear your heartbeat of what uh, you're compassionate about. And so the information that you gave today is very helpful. I know uh, that there's something in it that our members can make application of it to make them a better uh, field director in serving the men and the families that they do. And so I want to thank uh, you again, and I want to thank the audience for listening this morning and look to hear from you. And I, I speak blessings on you and your business that you continue to do well in serving families and that we, we make a difference and you make a difference. And I thank you and your family for making a difference in, in funeral service. So again, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Gregory. It was my pleasure. I appreciate those words. And, and I, I validate you listening and the work that you do. It hasn't been easy, especially these past couple of years. And I give a tremendous 
high five as well to funeral service for making it through. We're on the other side of this and it's making us stronger. It's making us better. And I, I'm proud you know, to be a funeral director and to represent all of you in, in a small way. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the OGR podcast series. For more ideas on how you can better serve the changing needs of your families, check out our other episodes at OGR.org slash library. That's OGR.org slash library. Or find us wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcast. This episode comes from Thumbies Keepsakes, an OGR endorsed supplier. Thumbies offers the largest selection of high-quality fingerprint jewelry and accessories, giving families the perfect way to remember their loved ones.